look at the world that we're living in. <laughs> How do we take into account the world that we're living in, the communities that we're living in, the organizations in which we are embedded, uh, recognize the realities, the current, the existing realities, and hold on to a vision of liberation, mm -hmm. not become cynical about it, not become discouraged even about it, but recognize this is the current situation, this is the vision that we're moving toward, and figure out how to organize ourselves in whatever position we find ourselves to steadily move ourselves and the people around us toward this vision of liberation. So that is a piece that I'm working on now um, that I'm supporting, encouraging yeah. people to put a focus on. Well, hello, and welcome to Student Affairs Now. I'm your host, Keith Edwards. Today, we're celebrating the 30th anniversary of the Social Justice Education Program at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. This program is truly one of a kind and has led the way in elevating scholarship, teaching, and practice around social justice in many contexts, including student affairs. I'm joined by one of the founding faculty members and two graduates applying their learning in different contexts. I'm so excited to have all of you here and for this reflection and celebration. Student Affairs Now is the premier podcast and online learning community for thousands of us who work in, alongside, or adjacent to the field of higher education and student affairs. We release new episodes every week on Wednesdays. Find details about this episode or browse our archives at studentaffairsnow.com. This episode is sponsored by Leadership. Go to leadership.org to learn how they can work with you to create a just, caring, and thriving world. And today's episode is also sponsored by Simplicity, a true partner. Simplicity supports all aspects of student life and technology platforms that empower institutions to make data-driven decisions. As I mentioned, I'm your host, Keith Edwards. My pronouns are he, him, his. I'm a speaker, consultant, and coach. You can find out more about me at keithedwards.com. I'm broadcasting from Minneapolis, Minnesota, at the intersections of the ancestral homelands of the Dakota and the Ojibwe peoples. Let's get to the conversation and meet our group here for today. I'm so excited to have each of you here. Let's begin with some introductions. Dr. Barbara Love, we're gonna begin with you. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for the introduction. I am in Western Massachusetts, uh, the land, the traditional and ancestral lands of the Penobscot people, unceded and uninvited. I am one of the founding faculty of the Social Justice Education Program and the, in the College of Education at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Well, that's a brief introduction. We're going to hear a lot more about you in a little bit. So thank you. Uh, I'm glad you're here. Tanya, go ahead. And I am a graduate, uh, 2011 graduate of the Social Justice Education Program. I am um, in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, on the, I appreciate Barbara, you, you named unceded and uninvited uh, land of the Lenape people. Um, I right now do full-time consulting and coaching work. I spent 25 plus years in higher education and uh, specifically in student affairs. And I'm so glad to be here and honored to get to talk about this program. Wonderful. And Michael? Hello, good afternoon, uh, Michael Vidal, uh, he, him, they, them pronouns. Um, I 
currently reside in Storrs, Connecticut um, at the University of Connecticut, um, which stands on the territory of the Mohegan, the Mashantucket Pequot, the Eastern Pequot, uh, Scatacoke, Golden Hill Piptucket, Nipmonk, and Lenape peoples. Um, and I currently am the interim director of the Puerto Rican and Latin American Cultural Center. Um, and I am also a graduate of the 2014 uh, master's cohort of the social justice education program. Um, and also again, super honored and excited to be with all of you and to chat more about the program. Mm -hmm. Well, I also want to give a shout out to a, an unnamed guest here too, actually. Uh, Jamila Liscott was intending to be here, a current faculty member in the program, unable to be here due to uh, some family conflicts. So, um, And then also Rachel Wagner is responsible for saying, these are the people you must have. <laughs> and, and so Rachel's been on the podcast numerous times and uh, really uh, appreciate her sort of behind the scenes uh, help in orchestrating this event and 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 all of you for being here. So so Barbara, you were one of the founding faculty members. As I, I mentioned in our pre-conversation, I have been hearing about your wisdom and insight and the way you have reframed people's thinking for 20 years and so excited to have you joining us. I wonder if you could just give us a little bit about how this program came to be, kind of the origin story um, 30 years ago, what happened? Okay, um, tell me when this is too much detail. <laughs> <laughs> I have been, I was in the School of Education, now College of Education at UMass, beginning in 1970, mm -hmm. and was part of a, a couple of programs before the birth of the Social Justice Education Program, the Center for Urban Education, and uh, which was involved with teacher education and with leadership development. And then later the staff development program. At the time that the social justice education program was formed, the School of Education was going through a massive reorganization. Mm -hmm. uh, the School of Education had been recognized nationally and internationally as an innovative and exciting place. It was non-graded. We were non-departmental. We were student-led. We were faculty-led. Uh, people who had a good idea could put that idea into practice. Uh, we were centers. Um, we were uh, just a variety of innovative, interesting uh, projects, programs, and people. Hmm. Then, um, you might recall the kind of movement that was occurring across the nation in higher education around 30 years ago at the time that our program was formed. And one of the consequences of that was uh, some changes in the university and a movement to ask the School of Education to organize itself along more traditional lines. So the School of Education moved from centers and programs into departments that were then made up of concentrations. And then Dean Bailey Jackson talked to several of us faculty who had been involved in different parts of the college, but doing related work that was broadly connected to issues, ideas, 
connected to social justice. So there had been the social issues training project. Mm -hmm. There had been the multicultural organizational development concentration. There had been various pieces that were occurring in different parts of the School of Education, now College of Education. And so he invited the five of us to come together and put together a proposal, put together a concentration description for the social justice education program. Uh, that included myself, Marianne Adams, um, Pat Griffin, uh, Linda Marchesani, uh, and we were all in different parts, as I said, of the School of Education at that time. And um, uh, Katja Han, who was a graduate student who was connected with the Social Issues Training Project. Mm -hmm. So we came together and over a period of time, put together the conceptual theoretical foundations for the program, designed a program description, designed a course of study, went through a process that the entire College of Education was going through at the time of getting this program concentration approved by the Faculty Senate. And that's um, <laughs> my recollection of how <laughs> the Social Justice Education Program came into being. You might have noticed my little pause there, because what I need to add is that uh, there are many recollections mm -hmm. of the various pieces and parts and people who were involved in bringing together the program. And I named those five faculty, and I need to add that Dean Jackson, Bailey Jackson, was also one of the founding faculty, mm -hmm. though he was dean and not so intimately involved in mm -hmm. the design and development of the program. But mm -hmm. as a founding faculty, he was there right from the beginning, and when he left the deanship, he did indeed return or come, come to the social justice education mm -hmm. program. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Thank you. Tanya, Michael, anything we want to add to that that we may have missed about sort of the beginnings or, or anything from your perspectives? Looks like no. That's cool. That's, cool. <laughs> That's fine. Um, well, I, I'll, I, I could just jump in and just add just one piece. I think, um, and, and I think we'll get sort of this piece maybe later mm -hmm. on around the impact, but, mm -hmm. you know, I came in, uh, at a time where I think the body of, of work and knowledge that had been produced in the program had mm -hmm. gained a level of, of notoriety and, uh, uh, within the field, but even mm -hmm. just among, among practitioners. Mm -hmm. And so um, really just as a, as a way to give kudos to Dr. Love and the founding faculty, I think sometimes you know, faculty produce work and it goes out into the world. And sometimes we don't know really, yeah. um, you know, outside of, you know, that, that publisher or perhaps within, your 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 network or amongst mm -hmm. you know particular circles that you may uh, find yourself in, right? But thinking about the power of a text on a shelf uh, mm -hmm. in someone's office, uh, which was my experience, right? I walked into 
a staff member's office and he said, oh, this is where we get the pedagogy for that program mm-hmm. that you mm-hmm. really enjoyed, right? And the curiosity of reading the bios and being mm-hmm. able to learn more about who are these people, right? Mm-hmm. That have created um, this framework or who have created this, this body of work. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, I really, again, I think, you know, I joined the program in 2012, but really had been a recipient of the work long before I even knew what it was, right? I just knew that I felt something awakened in me and I knew it was a result of this experience I had. So yeah, yeah, just as a way to give, you know, kudos and shout out to Dr. Love and of course the other founding faculty. Well, let me, let me build on that. Something that I shared earlier, which is, you know, I, I never went to UMass, never went to the program, but I learned from so many. And I think I was a new professional in my first one or two years out of my master's degree and came across the Teaching for Diversity and Social Justice book, which is, sits right here on my shelf. I think I've got like three, two, maybe three copies of the Teaching for Diversity for Social Justice, which when I read that, it just took all of these things that were messy and confusing and opinions and perspectives and feelings and all of this stuff that I was thinking about and hearing about and learning about just seemed kind of very personal and a very individual perspective. And then it was like, no, here's how all of this functions. And I just remember it just being so clear and just like, oh, this, this totally makes sense. And it's simple, particularly that matrix of oppression and all those different, like, oh, yes. And it just organized so many different things for me so powerfully. Um, helped me understand, which then helped me better explain it to other people and communicate with other people in different ways. Helped me learn new things. And, oh, this is how I can make sense of this. It was so helpful. And then going to many Encore conferences and being in a session with Bailey Jackson and Maureen Adams, I might as well have been there with John Steinwick and Ernest Hemingway. Like, these are the people that wrote the book. Oh, my gosh, this is so amazing what a nerd I was and still am, but learning from them and so many others. And then the readings for diversity and social justice, I, I described as sort of like providing the watercolors to that concept and understanding that organizing the richness and the fullness and the voices uh, of all of that. So, so as you're talking about sort of the notoriety, these products of Encore sessions and books, and then graduates like the two of you coming in. Uh, Tanya, what would you like to add? I want to highlight, um, and and I appreciate Barbara, uh, you saying that it's your recollection. Mm-hmm. I, I I just want to offer um, that the organizing that you all did, like those are the pieces that I think we miss. I know mm-hmm. I had missed when I went to our thirtieth anniversary celebration in September we got the history. And so what it meant was that we got the start of the program in the context and the like history of what was going on in, or, in, in I said organization, in, at UMass, in higher education. And so I just wanna, hold up. If this program is 30 years old, I'm only 50. So <laughs> thank goodness it came along in enough time when I was graduating and out of my master's degree, it was like those faculty was waiting for gathered you. by that point. Yeah. yeah. There was, we're still in the context of oppression. And these folks had to organize and organize intentionally. And there were some, some really clear examples. I'm like, 
this is textbook organizing that these faculty members did, these grad students, these that they did together so that it could actually surface in a way, added in higher education, surface in a way that we could still do work, could produce graduates who are going out and doing work and in really um, impactful ways. And so I think that's what I'm really, Barbara, you, you said it all really clearly and, um, and succinctly, there is a whole bunch of story around that, mm -hmm. that I think we, we cannot miss, uh, mm -hmm. that folks were really, the organization, the, the, and these folks are coming from across identity. And so they're having to- And practice. discipline. Yeah, they're yeah. having across discipline, having to practice what they actually are learning and teaching. Mm -hmm. So that to me, and we'll get into this a little bit better. That to me is the 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 brilliance of what social justice education um, program has been. The magic there. I will. Go ahead. I will add a few things. Um, just thinking about the. Uh, diversity of spaces and places that came together to build the social justice education program. Uh, Marianne Adams, who was a key founding person, had been involved in residential life and residential education and um, working with student affairs to train people in student affairs around issues of oppression in education. Mm -hmm. And I and also Bailey had been working both in multicultural organizational development um, on ra racism and education. Bailey had been working with the social issues training program. Uh, Pat Griffin had been working with the phys ed teacher education program, building in components related to uh, social justice. And so there were all these different pieces coming together. Mm -hmm. um, in the beginning um, around organizing this program. And um, one of the things that seemed really important, we spent a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of meetings hashing out what we could all agree on as fundamental principles, theoretical mm -hmm. foundations for the program, conceptual foundations for the program. We all had the work that we had been doing and we had to come together and agree of all these things, which of these are the key things that we want to be included mm -hmm. in the program. This was a graduate program, not an undergraduate program, but we did end up with an undergraduate component. But let me say more about that in a moment. We're, we're trying to figure out, so what are the key things that we think any graduate student, any person who graduates from this program should be familiar with. We don't think anybody should graduate from this program and not know something about racism and not know something about sexism, not know something about heterosexism, not know something about anti-Semitism. In other words, what are the key things that, that, that people need to know about it? And, and, and what are the conceptual foundations that come together to make up? What's the body of knowledge that people need to be familiar with? What about Frere? What about pedagogy of the oppressed? And so on. So um, we ended up 
with these core courses. Okay, now how much can you stuff into a graduate program? Uh, <laughs> a master's program is 30, 30 uh, uh, credit hours, and then a doctoral program is 45 credit hours. How much of this can we stuff into a three, three credit hour or six credit hour course? And how many of these have to be required? And which mm -hmm. of these can be, um, uh, what, what, if it's not electives. required, is it voluntary? Oh, electives. Electives, yes, yes. Um, so there, there were all these things that we were trying to, to think about. And we ended up with this uh, sequence of weekend courses. You know, we, we um, a weekend seminar on racism, a weekend seminar on sexism, a weekend seminar on heterosexism, a weekend seminar on gender oppression, a weekend seminar on anti-Semitism anti and so on. Uh, we can't require, I think we ended up... Um, I don't know how many there were at the time that you came along, Tanya, or that, or that you came along, Michael, maybe eight, 10, 12. I don't remember exactly how many seminars, but, but we can't require every student to take all of those courses because mm -hmm. they won't have time for anything else in their program. So there was just a lot to be figured out and a lot of coming together, meeting, talking over late evenings, long evenings, pots of, of chicken stew. Uh, just trying to figure out these basic things. And then uh, I was talking about the weekend seminars. Uh, I think we ended up, I, I'm, I'm, since I don't trust my memory, I won't say how many we decided were required uh, and which we decided people really must take these and the rest are electives. And then um, it's, um, okay, the, the, um, undergraduate seminars on these issues can be a training ground for mm -hmm. graduate students mm -hmm. who are learning these issues to then teach them to others. Our students were in, um, the, the people in our program were in student affairs, they were in social work, they were in higher education, they were in school leadership, they were mm -hmm. in just, you can't imagine the huge range of backgrounds that our participants in our program came from and that they ended up going into. You will find them in government. You will find them in higher education. You will find them as school principals, as school superintendents. You will find mm -hmm. them in state legislatures. You will find them in social work. Uh, you will find them in philanthropy. You will mm -hmm. find them in just a great variety of places. Um, and they're figuring out how to take this understand these basic understandings about social education, social justice education, mm -hmm. and figuring out how to apply them in this huge mm -hmm. diversity of places, including did I say business and industry? Mm -hmm. I did not yeah. mean to, as, as well as into business yeah. and industry. Yeah. Well, let's let's hear from some of the people who are doing this. So, so Tanya, Michael, you have this degree, this training, this background, and I'd love to hear how you how you see how you see it and value it and utilize it now that you've been away from the program for a little bit so so tanya tell tell folks a little bit about um how you're bringing this to the work that you're doing and the value you're seeing and we'll hear from michael as well sure so um i'd to hear Barb, dr love talk about you know <laughs> the program. your barbara's fine we've been barbara so long that's just yeah <laughs> <laughs> to hear like what the program offered and how I smiled at the you know long conversations over chicken soup mm -hmm. because it was 
the energy of the classroom that spilled over. Absolutely. I had more potlucks mm. during that program than I've ever had in my life. I didn't know what a potluck was until I went to that program. <laughs> but it same, was, same. <laughs> it was the conversations in the classroom and outside that mm -hmm. made the difference. Um, mm -hmm. I often talk about, and I promise you, Keith, I'll get to your question. Mm -hmm. I often talk about how this program, to Barbara's point about we as graduates are everywhere. Mm -hmm. The program was not teaching, it, it, it was teaching a discipline. So the discipline was education. Mm -hmm. What it gave us was a lens. Mm -hmm. And so I always tell people when folks would ask, now people know social justice, when folks would say, well, what are you getting your doctorate in? And I would say social justice education. And they, they'd say, well, what are you gonna do with that? And then we have the world that we have now. Mm -hmm. All those people who asked me probably like, oh, that's what she meant. <laughs> but what I would tell people is that if I came into that program, an accountant, mm -hmm. I would learn a, a way of understanding, you mentioned that matrix of oppression, mm -hmm. Keith, a way mm -hmm. of seeing the world that would make me an accountant that not only would like be working towards social justice, it would be also what's the lens of it that I bring to my accounting work. Mm -hmm. And so as a person who was in student affairs, when they entered the program, I worked in residence life, um, taught some classes while I was there, um, did my, my role in professional roles has had always been directors of diversity education, associate deans of inclusion, all of those roles. Um, but while there as a graduate student, I worked in residence life. I had some knowledge mm -hmm. of, you know, identity. I didn't mm -hmm. get it though. I didn't, it didn't mm -hmm. fit together. It, right. I, it didn't make complete sense. Mm -hmm. And it was just as you were saying, Keith, when I read, when I sat in my classrooms and it still blows my mind, I learned from Dr. Love, Dr. Jackson, Dr. Griffin, Dr. Morian Adams, Katya, I learned from those folks. It wasn't just the content, it was the process of, of how they did it that was transformative. So now to make the connection to how I use the work, how I have used my, um, the education that I received through that program, I absolutely have tons of content knowledge. Yeah. And the, the really interesting thing is a lot of people now because of the world that we live in and the number of books being produced mm -hmm. and all of these things, lots of folks have content knowledge mm -hmm. and can read the book and can have the words. And we know that the, the shallow level of mm -hmm. experience that people bring to this work it is also married, though, in my mind, forever with the process. Mm -hmm. And so that's, I can consult on and coach mm -hmm. on topics. People, I was reading an article today in the New York Times. Folks are going to start sharing it around about how diversity trainings are not useful. Mm -hmm. I have opinions about that. <laughs> and... What I know is I don't do just diversity trainings. Right. 
I am actually working with the whole human in the context of an oppressive system. And I'm making meaning and sense and helping yeah. people to understand all of that better. That's the education part to me. Right. You reminded me, uh, I, Jamie Washington saying, and this was 15 years ago, a lot of people have learned the words, but they ain't done the work. Right. And yours, what I'm hearing from you is that I, I learned the words. Yes, I did. And I learned the work. I did my own work. I did that. And now that's also what you're bringing to people. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and to the point of doing the work, it's yes, I did my own work, but I also learned how to hold that work right. with people as they do their own work, as mm -hmm. they do it, their work in systems that either support their identities or might not support their identities or marginalize their identities or privilege their identities. So it's, it's a, it's a really, it's a combo package. Yes. I've done my own work and this program allowed me so much time to do my own work. It gave me information about like what might be occurring. What's the process that might be occurring? How do you teach that process to the content piece? Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, from a consulting place, yes, I, help organizations make meaning of what might be happening, um, organizational development, if you will, through a social justice lens, through an identity and power lens. I know the program though gave me uh, information, experience, practice in being able to do that in any yeah. role or job that I might have. It sounds like uh, not only did you learn how to use the lightsaber, but it also taught you how to use the force. <laughs> mm, that's, ooh, the, there are some Star Trek people out there that are like, yeah. <laughs> we're not getting into the Star Trek versus Star Wars. We don't have time. That's a whole nother episode. That's a whole nother episode. <laughs> but I think you're right. It it really, and and I what I often see is that if we can stay with this metaphor, <laughs> a lot of folks are wielding this, the yeah. lightsaber without understanding the power of the force. Yeah. And that is a dangerous wielding of the lifesaver. I love this metaphor. I just made it up. I love it. I might be coming back to it. We might be doing something with it. We'll see. Michael, you are working more directly with students. You have a very traditional student affairs role on a particular campus. How are you bringing this to the work that you're doing? And how is it shaping the work that you do and who you are? Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just want to underscore um, some things that Dr. Williams um, talked about that I think are, I want to make sure that we center because um, in terms of the uniqueness of, social, of the social justice education program, it's certainly, um, and I think Dr. Love talked about this too, of the interdisciplinary nature of how we are even talking about education mm -hmm. is something that I think really drew me to the program and I think draws a lot of folks um, uh, and drew a lot of folks to the program. Um, I, I, I think this piece of where do we as individuals um, fit within the context of the conversation. So I think centering reflexivity and talking and being able to bridge the content that we were learning in class to our lived experience, how it shows up in our relationships in rooms um, that we, we find ourselves in on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, I also think the, the, the piece that Dr. Williams talked about in terms of, you know, I think traditional programs in education 
look at equity issues in education, where I think the, the SJE program really shifted the paradigm to say, how can education be a facilitator for justice? How can education be a facilitator for liberation and for freedom? Mm -hmm. And so I think that the orientation of the program in and of itself, um, I, I think is the sort of the nuance that I think folks who go to the program or have been trained to the program really get that they wouldn't necessarily otherwise get another, um, you know, educational experiences. Um, so, and, and to me that, that, that's how I learn best. And I, again, I think mm -hmm. that's where a lot of the magic happens mm -hmm. is um, really understanding where we fall within that, that discourse. Um, a quick example, and I always use this because um, it kind of speaks to how the faculty sort of, you know, put a mirror to here of, of to you. I, we, mm -hmm. I was in first semester. I was in a curriculum and instruction course with Dr. Carita Mayfield. And I think the, the instruction was to design a three hour workshop. Mm -hmm. And off the gate, I, I remember saying, you know, we're going to we're going to tell them about oppression and privilege. And I remember her saying, why do you work so hard? Let them do the hard work, you yeah. know? And it was, it was just sort of this, this shift. I'm like, well, what are you talking about? We're here to talk about education and oppression. And isn't that what we're supposed to do? And she's like, but let them get there. Like, why do you have to, yes, guide them, but you don't have to be the person to necessarily pull them there, right? They'll, they'll get there eventually. Um, so just even thinking about my pedagogy and my practice, that was a huge lesson. And the question of how am I implicated? Um, I remember taking the weekend seminar on sexism and uh, also Dr. Mayfield, who was again, a, a big support for me, you know, she was, she asked me the question, how are you implicated in this conversation of sexism? Um, you're talking about male privilege, but there's nothing in your design that tells me that you have done some work around what does it mean right. for you as a, you know, Puerto Rican, Dominican, Latinx, you know, queer man, right? Like how, how, how are you implicated in this conversation of sexism? And if you're not able to articulate that, you're going to really struggle with this design. And so again, just that relationship, that engagement, that process that even the faculty really offer to the students, right? These were questions, these were considerations that I feel like my peers and other programs really weren't getting, right? I think right. they, we're doing the work, right, to, um, to Tanya's point, right, of they were doing the thing, they had the language, they were putting things together, but the omission of the self in the context of that process, mm -hmm. I think, um, really was a disservice. And so um, for me, just to answer your question, Keith, you know, I, br I bring that in my practice every single day, you know, um, you know, ironically, um, most of my roles have not been student facing, they've mm -hmm. really been sort of organizational work in the mm -hmm. context of, of universities, um, and have recently taken on this role of doing mm -hmm. more student facing work. Um, but what's powerful is that, you know, I've worked in a community setting, I've worked with people in a room where I had the police officer, the teacher, 
the 12 year olds be in a room talking about how mm-hmm. um, pressing topics and issues that affect them, right? Um, and the fact that I w- I'm able to do that in that setting, but also go to a senior leadership meeting um, and sit in that space, right? Again, that just speaks to the how the framework, I think, really speaks across contexts um, yeah. and really across identities and experiences. I will since you're talking let me, about. Let, let me highlight three things uh, before we get away from it that Michael and uh, Tanya have talked about. Uh, I got my one, notepad out. I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> uh, one of them is the focus in the program on content as well as process. Mm. And uh, the piece that Michael has just noted, uh, focus on the self, the self Mm -hmm. as instrument, self as part of the teaching learning enterprise. So I don't want that to be lost because that I think was a key part of what we in the social justice education program uh, was about. Uh, The second thing I want to uh, mention on this piece about self is uh, a huge emphasis on self-awareness. In fact, we had a course on Mm self-awareness, the necessity for social justice educators to, as uh, Tanya said, do the work, to do their Mm -hmm. own work. Um, Because you can have the words, you can have the content, you can have the information, you can be completely literate in the information, but if you haven't done your own work, what you are going to teach or what you are going to extend to others is going to be limited. So a, an, an emphasis on self-awareness, a focus on the self. And the third thing I want to um, make sure doesn't get lost is uh, how best to say this. We um, were thinking all the time about what, what is the content. There were no textbooks mm-hmm. that were suitable to what we were trying to do. Mm-hmm. So we always ended up creating a book of readings for our students. And this book of readings is what became published as the readings. Mm-hmm. And the textbook that we didn't set out to write a textbook about how to teach. We said, this is what we have figured out so far. And we're steadily figuring it out. There is no endpoint, mm-hmm. but this is what we have figured out so far. And it might be, how do we put this all together so that others who are trying to do this work have the benefit of what we have figured out so far about mm-hmm. how to teach this, what mm-hmm. is important to teach and how to teach it. And so I wanted to put that note in there about how the two books came into being. First, the, um, the uh, teachings, mm-hmm. the, the, this is what we teach and this is how we teach it. And then the readings book was, these are the readings that we use and these yeah. are the things that we think are important for people to, uh, it gives examples of the kinds of things that we think people ought to be familiar with if they're trying to learn about these concepts. Yeah, I, I love that your your first point because I was hearing the same thing. I was hearing content for sure. We would all think that, but then the process and the pedagogy. I think process is Dane's word. Pedagogy is what Michael used, but really that part of it. But then the thing I'm also hearing from both of you is there's also a being. Right. We might call that the self-awareness, but I don't think you all leave it when you leave the gig or when you leave your campus. Right. This is about how you were taught to show up and be in the world, whether you're in conversation at dinner, whether you're at a potluck, whether you're leading a session, whether you're on a walk by yourself. This is a part of of the being. And I think that's that's part of the magic here about making it different, different than than other programs that are teaching content and maybe process and pedagogy. But I want to go to where you began to lead us, which is the teaching for diversity and social justice, the readings for diversity and social justice. I want to ask all three of you, what do you feel have been some of the biggest uh, contributions of the program? And you can think about that in any way. 
I think about those two textbooks, which, which I read and changed me, which I taught and used for years and years and years in designing a 30 minute workshop and a full semester long course. So, so useful staff trainings. I also think about the multicultural organizational development model that I think has just been so helpful in framing my thinking and my understanding to help move groups, not from good or bad groups, but <laughs> how do we take where you are and make it better? I also think about so much intergroup dialogue work, uh, but what are some of the contributions that you really think came from the program, from the teaching, from the class, from the students, from the intellectual? Barbara, what do you, what, what jumps to mind for you? I was hoping you were going to start with uh, Tanya and, and with Michael, um, but you've started with me, so I'll say this piece. There's so much that has been central, that has been, I was going to use the word fertilizing, and I realize mm -hmm. that's a farmer's term, <laughs> uh, but seeding, seeding ideas. Mm -hmm. And the piece yeah. that I am working most um, uh, actively with now uh, that comes out, I think, as a result of my years of working with the program is the work around liberatory consciousness. And uh, right now I'm working with people in a wide range of places in social work, schools of social work, in corporate settings in executive coaching and so on, focusing on liberatory consciousness, which ultimately is about bringing, how do you bring a gestalt of these ideas together to help frame, uh, uh, Tanya said it earlier, the lens through which we view the world, the lens through which we view our work, the lens through which we create a vision uh, for the world, the organization, relationships, the lens through which we ultimately decide what it is that we are marching toward and how to hold notions of liberation. Uh, the program for many, many, many years was focused on oppression and coming to the understanding that we don't learn, we don't study oppression for the sake of knowing about oppression. We study oppression so that we can figure out something about liberation. So let's turn our attention directly toward liberation and see how we use all of what we have figured out, all of what we have learned to help marshal our energy, marshal our focus, marshal our relationships, marshal our teaching, marshal our learning so that it is moving steadily and directly toward liberation. And how do we, Tanja, I love the way you kind of, uh, <laughs> did this, look at the world now, <laughs> look at the world that we're living in. <laughs> How do we take into account the world that we're living in, the communities that we're living in, the organizations in which we are embedded, uh, recognize the realities, the current, the existing realities and hold on to a vision of liberation, mm -hmm. not become cynical about it, not become discouraged even about it, but recognize this is the current situation. This is the vision that we're moving toward and figure out how to organize ourselves in whatever position we find ourselves to steadily move ourselves and the people around us toward this vision of liberation. So that is a piece that I'm working on now um, that I'm supporting, encouraging yeah. people to put a focus on. Uh, Michael, please try and follow that in some way, shape, or form. Uh, you know, I can't, so I'll just do my own thing. But, um, you know, I, I think for me, the way that 
um, in, in, ter in terms of the contribution, I really think, so I've seen it in two ways. Um, it's really interesting to see people engage in the work, again, without necessarily knowing origins, right? And it's not necessarily having to know, well, this practice is rooted in this theoretical framework, but I think it's really interesting and really powerful when I witness um, uh, community organizers, activists, educators, utilize right some of the 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 practices and the principles of social justice education within their respective space so i think in terms of the contribution i do see folks across again a, a variety of roles experiences identities context um really use the 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 text really use the literature um as a reference point and in for i think for some people very much as a north star um you know sometimes we do need something to go back to um i know myself at least professionally i've you know have had moments where i'm like let me just go and like like why why do i do this work <laughs> um cuz it, it it is taxing and it, and it is hard um so so i have seen it sort of in that space of seeing people engage in the work in ways that i that i can identify is really rooted in 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 a social justice education framework um and then i also think in terms of um i think thinking more future wise i i am often struck by um, spaces uh, that I'm in that care about justice work, that care about education work, who have people, they have questions about how do we bring people together to talk about these things? Yeah. Um, and in the back of my mind, I'm thinking there's a lot out there in general, but also we have, um, again, a program, we have literature out there that has been speaking to this um, for quite some time. And so um, in a way I'm, I'm having to, in my, in my work, having to introduce or reintroduce um, the contributions of, of SJE, even with my colleagues, right, who maybe have heard of it or maybe have, you know, because they come from disciplines that are a lot more classical or traditional. And so they are looking more for that interdisciplinary work. They are looking for some of those practice models and some of those um, uh, skill building pieces, right, that I also think SJE offers. It's not just there's content, there's process, there's self, but I wanted to add the skill building piece because yeah. I think that oft, that seldom does that actually happen in uh, learning spaces where it's, we also, we also want to give you tools. Um, so it, it's not just about, okay, we want you to get an experience and think about yourself and learn some content. We want to make sure that before you leave this space that you, you are equipped with language resources to be able to continue your own learning, which is, I think, again, you know, some of the, the planting of the seeds that Dr. Love has mentioned, um, you know, when I find myself questioning, I go back to yeah. what have I been given as tools to be able to continue the work? Um, so, so those are just some, some broad um, points for me, but I think the, the, the skill building component is something that's also very powerful that folks talk about is, I haven't, I wasn't able to be able to talk about this, but now I can, or I feel like I can take what I've learned and apply it in my respective role or in my relationships or in my community. Yeah. Tanya, what, are, what contributions do you want to highlight or add to here? Well, I definitely, actually, 
Barbara and Michael hit on two things that guide my life. Mm. Liberatory consciousness, no doubt, underline, highlight, bold. It is such a powerful way of understanding, experiencing, and living in the world. Um, and to have more people understand that, I, I hear it more often than I used to. Mm-hmm. And so the, for us to have that as part of our future, I think uh, is, is extremely exciting. I also wanna underline, highlight, bold, the idea of skills, like having that having it be that content is not like enough. Content knowledge, like stuck in the brain, I have the words, not enough. Can you practice those skills? And so the, that has been a contribution of this program. Mm-hmm. I think the other one, and this is probably, it's both connected externally, but also internally, the ways in which we held relationships. Mm. Um, it has, it, to that point of sustenance and sustaining, mm-hmm. it has allowed for, I think, us to do the work longer. Yeah. Uh, and so it has more of us out in the world still doing the work as opposed to, oh, this was too hard and I'm going to go do something else now. Right. This was a phase when I was younger. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, great. We're, we are one, running out of time. So I just want to end our with our last question. The podcast is called Student Affairs Now. Just love to ask each of you, what are you troubling? What are you thinking about? What are you pondering now? And I think that troubling came from Craig Alamo, who definitely got it from the UMass Social Justice Education Program. But what is just on your mind right now? Maybe something we've talked about, maybe unrelated, but Michael, and if you want to share where people can connect with you, please, please do. Michael, what's, what's kind of on your mind now? Yeah, my um, something I've been thinking a lot about um, has been ethics of care, uh, critical ethics of care around identity-based teaching and learning. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've developed, um, so I'm thinking about SJE as a, as a field of study. Um, I think there's been really beautiful ways that um, ethics and care have been modeled, um, but I, I, I'm sort of thinking up more broadly about is there a a growing body of literature or is there a need to really start to articulate what does it mean for practitioners to have a critical ethic of care when, when the people are the content, right? When mm-hmm. we're talking about living human beings that we're not just reading about and studying and researching that, um, you know, what, what does embedding an ethic of care in that process mean and look like? And so um, professionally, I've been thinking a lot about that particularly in the last decade, we've had a really intense um, and, and continues to be an intense uh, time in our um, in our society. And I, I'm seeing these things surface in communities. And so that's a that's a, a big area of interest professionally, but also academically, um, you know, really thinking about what does an ethic of care mean and look like in the context of social justice education and how are we continuing to equip, train, and support leaders in that space um, so that it doesn't, we don't want to continue to cause further harm in the name of, of, of justice, right? Um, that's actually the opposite of what we want to do, but I think that's something that is worth uh, exploring and, and, and really looking into as a community. Awesome. Tanya, what's, what's on your mind now? 
Oh my goodness, Keith, that is quite a question. Um, <laughs> I will say a couple of things that are on my mind. I am always, always, always thinking about, and, and this is where I did my dissertation work, the ways in which, to Barbara's point, um, we understand how oppression has been internalized in us mm. so that we, like it is in service of our liberation. Mm -hmm. And I'm constantly thinking about how, whether people have engaged with that level of work so that they can have a vision of liberation that is broader than the one that they have, yeah. like that they're working from, from an internalized place. Mm -hmm. um, other, I'm always thinking about liberatory consciousness. I, mm -hmm. I always, and, and thinking about practice, but also how to, help people understand it, how to bring it as a way of being in organizations. Um, constantly, I'm always also thinking about the nature of oppression and actually trying to understand the nature of oppression. Mm -hmm. Both and, right? You need to understand yeah. what's happening and how you create something better. Absolutely, yeah. Barbara, what's, what's, what are you pondering now? Well, many things, uh, but let me say this. I was in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt in November at the UN Conference on the Climate. And um, it was fascinating to hear, to be in rooms with climate change activists uh, and hear occasionally people who were familiar with these concepts. So one of the things that I'm concerned about is how to extend an understanding of these concepts to broader and broader areas of work. The second piece about being in Sharm el-Sheikh is that you, if, if you kept up with the news about that conference, people were so excited that the one thing that came out of the agreements amongst nations was something about loss and damage that so-called um, privileged nations would provide funds for a loss and damage um, support for less privileged nations. Nowhere in the entire conference, except in those <laughs> session workshops that I led, sessions that I talked about, was the concept of oppression, was the concept of racism, was the concept of colonialism and internalized colonialism mentioned. So in all that excitement about loss and damage, nobody mentioned that the nations who have funds got them through colonialism, mm -hmm. through theft, mm -hmm. through taking the resources from those nations that are now not, now not privileged. Mm -hmm. If they could talk about the funds as charity from the privileged nations, then the concession, then the discussion could move forward. Mm -hmm. If the word reparations was ever mentioned, the conversations went to a dead end. Right. I want to get social justice concepts into the minds of people at that level who are thinking about these issues, because it is ultimately a matter of the future of all of the people on the planet. And I'm convinced that un, un, until and unless people get those concepts, they will never come up with agreements that will actually work, that will actually make a difference. Mm -hmm. so we'll just leave, we'll just end on changing the world. We'll just end on change, <laughs> saving the world. Saving the world, <laughs> creating a new world, a liberatory world. Well, thank you. This has been awesome.
awesome. And thanks to all of you for your work and creating a program and being a part of it and moving the work forward in so many of the ways that you do. It has been a gift to me today, and I really appreciate it. Uh, so thanks to each of you for being here. Thank you. And thanks to our you. Thank you yep. for having us do this. Yeah. So, Thanks to our sponsors of today's episode, LeaderShape and Simplicity. LeaderShape partners with colleges and universities to create transformational leadership experiences, both virtually and in person for students and professionals, with a focus on creating a more just, caring, and thriving world. LeaderShape offers engaging learning experiences on courageous dialogue, integrity, equity, resilience, and community building. To find out more, please visit leadershape.org or connect them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And also Simplicity is the global leader in student services technology platforms with state-of-the-art technology that empowers institutions to make data-driven decisions specific to their goals. A true partner to the institution, Simplicity supports all aspects of a student life, including but not limited to career services and development, student conduct and well-being, student success, and accessibility services. To learn more, visit simplicity.com or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. As always, a huge shout out to our producer, Natalie Ambrosi, who does all the behind the scenes work to make us all look and sound good. If you're listening today and not already receiving our weekly newsletter, please visit our website at studentaffairsnow.com. Scroll to the bottom of the homepage to add your email to our MailChimp list. While you're there, check out the archives. I'm Keith Edwards. Thanks again to the fabulous guests today and for everyone who is watching and listening. Make it a great week. Thank you all. 